Mike. Hey, Michelle. How are you? Hey. Good. How are you? Good. Welcome to 409 Fargo East West, Michelle. What did you think of this episode? I'm okay, that's very, a wrap. Thanks. I'm sorry? Nothing. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm trying very hard not to be super negative, but I'm failing pretty bad. All right. I did not like this episode. What did you not like about it? I didn't like anything about it. I thought it was... Look, I get the whole, you know, artsy thing that they try to do and the implied meanings behind stuff. It's not that I'm not smart enough to get this, but I just hate these episodes that they throw in sometimes. It's like everything else. We're coming up on the end, right? The end of this season. And this is an anthology, so it's going to be like over. We have two more episodes. And if they wanted to do this in episode three or something, I mean, I know they could have done this one, but you know what I mean. Okay. But not now. I have so many questions that I want answered. And I wait a week to get these questions answered. And then we get these artsy things. What are some of your questions? Well, I mean, I have a million questions. You know, is is Satchel Mike Milligan? What happens? Well, I mean, now. You know, I mean, I, I know too much right now. But my questions were, what happens to Satchel and Rabbi? Um, does Loy or Josto end up the victor? Or do they come together? I mean, who, who even knows? Um... But, but what's the outcome of that? Then we have the whole Smutney thing, the whole Smutney family, not to mention Ethel Rita, who is the author of this story that we tend to, I tend to kind of forget anyway. And her family, and what's going on there, and Orietta, and what's going on there, and what's gonna happen with Dr. Harvard. And I mean, it's just, there's so many things. And it's like, I really wanted to get some answers or at least be headed toward that. And we get this artsy, do nothing, uh, Wizard of Oz thrown in. Well, this is kind of what I was saying last week that I was searching for the storyline. Like, what's the lesson? Um, you know, what Holly's making all the, or, yeah, Holly, I guess, the Cones. Who knows how much the Cones are helping Holly with this, if at all. But he's certainly following in their footsteps. He's very Cone-esque if he's not getting help from them. He's in their mold for sure. Right. But, yeah, once removed from all these connections, I want to know... Everybody's trying to make connections. What does the Wizard of... Who's the Scarecrow? Who's the Tin Woodsman? Now, what's the meaning of the tornado? Why, you know, what this, why that? Once we're removed from all these connections, I, I want to know not just how to make those connections. Like, I don't really care who's the Tin Woodsman and who's the Scarecrow. More, what I want to know is why Holly's using these allegories. Why is he using these connections? What's the lesson? So, but I think, I think ultimately, Michelle, this season's going to fall into the cone mold, which is you know allegory it's a it's a symbol it's symbolic of things it's not going to have you know we didn't know what happened to the embargo we didn't really know what happened to well malvo got killed we we do know what happened to him but there's you know there's good and there's evil and it's kind of a 
I, I think the Cone's basic thumbnail of what their storylines are, it's, it's a big world and you got to kind of live with some stuff. Some's good, some's bad, some's fortune, and some is misfortune. And I swear, I get all that. I really do. But it's like you're in the middle of telling a story and then you stop and you go down some, some artsy rabbit hole, figure it out for yourself. And I mean, at this point in the story, I don't appreciate it. And I don't mean I don't appreciate that. I mean, I don't appreciate it. I can't appreciate this for what it is because there's too much else I wanted to know. So the whole thing, it actually started out okay, okay. But by, you know, three quarters through it, I was just, I was over it. I didn't even want to watch it a second time. And that is not like me. But I did because I thought, okay, I've missed something. Because I do that sometimes. I thought, I've missed something. There's really something big in this that I'm just not getting to connect these dots. And if there was... That I needed to watch it again because I don't get it. Yeah, you know, I, I didn't dislike it like you disliked it. I, I like that they make me think about things. And I guess I've kind of given up on this plot. Like I said last week, what's where's the plot? What's the thread? What you know, what's the storyline? I've kind of given up on that. Like what needs to get resolved here? I'm not really thinking of that so much as I'm I'm liking the thoughts that they're prompting me to think about. Michelle, when when you saw the bowling alley scene from that season, I'm hazarding a guess that you did not like that episode. I actually didn't mind that so much. I thought that was pretty good. It was confusing to me. And honestly, I'm not a real, you know, what is it, left brain person, whatever. I'm really just not. I'm not real artsy. I'm not good at anything uh, artistic, so to speak, like, like this. But that was okay because it was not the whole episode. And we still got a lot of other content outside of that. It was a little a little piece. And you're going to have to explain this whole thing to me. I hope you got something out of it because I am just, I'm just lost. Well, just the symbolism. Like in many ways, to me, this boarding house, I already forgot the name of it, but the boarding house to me was the bowling alley. It was full of symbols. It was full of hidden meanings. Not so hidden, but, you know, coached meanings and cloaked meanings and not coached, cloaked meanings and the way they sat and the way they separated the house and what religion are you, what testament, new or old, you know, all those things. Right. To me, that was pretty interesting, although it was a, you know, it is a... It is a sidetrack to what whatever the plot is. And are the Italians going to get the mayor in office and win the power of, you know, that doesn't really seem to interest me anymore so much as the thoughts that are prompted by these little vignettes going on in this house. I guess, but then show us this in place of all the other stuff. What's the point of Josto and and his fiance who is... Well, it's not over yet either. Yeah. I know, but it's so close, you know? I mean, what's the point of all that? There's no way, I'm telling you now, there's no way they can tie all of this up now to my satisfaction. This this had so many characters. There's so many characters, and they're characters that I really like. I like Josto's fiance. I can't even remember her name. Or yeah. But I like, what is it? 
Orietta. No, it's not Orietta. Bessie but, or Tessie or something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how I do you like her? her? What the hell do you like about her? I, she's interesting. She's like this 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 person who thinks she's in love with this guy and thinks he's in love with her, and they're just. I don't know. I just. I would a whole lot rather have seen like a five minute. Just give me five minutes of her and oh, why. God. That would and, that would have been horrendous. Five minutes of her. Of her, yes. For She's her a story. weather vane spinning in the wind between her dad and Josto. I know, but why? You know, I mean, give me something. If you're going to have her in here, give me something. There were so many characters in this. I think that Fargo said this was their most character-rich um, season that they've done by far. And so we have all these characters. A couple of them, you know, we found some stuff. What, what about... Um, Daffy. What about, uh, well, not Daffy. Daffy's gone. What about Webb? You know, we have all that. What about, um... Well, it's not over, Michelle. We gotta, we gotta, we gotta focus on this episode. So, let's try to get on track a little bit. So, um, one thing that I took out of this is their sides, like East-West. They're obviously defining sides. What side are you on? What religion? You know, what, you're McCarthy or Eisenhower? And the one thing I took from this is that Rabbi had no, he could care less. He, in fact, said that when they tried to seat him at the table. He's like, I don't care. I'm, you know, I'm not, oh, that means you're, you know, I don't have any political affiliation. You know, that, that was interesting to me that he's like, he's a lone gun. Well, yeah, but I mean, we kind of knew that, right? He he was forced to pick a side when he was a kid, and then he um, didn't feel like he belonged to either side. So I think it was kind of a heavy-handed kind of uh, parallel to his life. And you it's know, pretty clever, though. It's pretty clever the way it's all put together. Because at one point, Rabbi asked the clerk, the girl clerk. You know why is this place mm-hmm. why east west or why is it separated east west and the clerk just says why anything one over the other it's just the way it is it's kind of a statement about life you know you could be republican or democrat but no matter what happens it ju- is just the way it is you know whatever religion you are life's going to go on whatever um, whatever president you vote for you know whatever if you're from the east coast or the west coast life is the way it is we look at it different ways because we have these proclivities to be political or religious or, you know, I care about the, the north or the south or whatever. But life just does burrow ahead, barrel ahead. I'm just going to have to let you, you you say all the good things because I'm not I'm not feeling it. And I'm going to get I'm, I'm going to like dig my heels in about it, I'm afraid. So. Or we do. We can't ignore the Wizard of Oz. the 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 names of the cast of the Wizard of, of Oz. By the way, the Wizard of Oz is a very Rado Piarlo movie because, if you remember the Wizard of Oz, Dorothy gets hit on the head and has a dream, and all the real life people she knows become these characters. Right. So let's go through some. So some of the people in the Wizard of Oz, just straight from the IMDb um, list, are Dorothy, of course. The, there's the Professor Marvel, the guy who goes around with the potions and lotions and, you know, he's the flim-flam man in the covered wagon selling shit. He's the wizard, so he's he's those two people. Hunk is the scarecrow, and we have a hunk in this episode. Um, we have a hickory 
Hickory is the Tin Man in The Wizard of Oz. We have a Hickory in this episode. We don't have the Cowardly Lion. The Cowardly Lion's real name in real life was Zeke. I don't remember a Zeke in here. We have Glinda the Good Witch. We have Miss Gulch the Wicked Witch. We have Uncle Henry and Auntie M. And we have M and Henry's um, store. Right, or gas station. Okay. And, of course, Toto. Now we have oh, yeah. Rabbit. Uh, we have Munchkins and Winged Monkeys. So they're, you know, they're hitting on what? 50% of those names are in this episode. Um, you can you can take Toto and probably translate Rabbit. It's, he even looked a little bit like Toto. Oh, I know. I know. Um, so, yeah, we had Hunk. We had Hickory. We had M and Henry. Um, we had the T. Woodsman store. <laughs> And the dog. So, it, you know, I don't know why Noah Hawley's connecting this to The Wizard of Oz, but I want to know why he wants us to think of The Wizard of Oz so much as I want to make the direct connections, like I said. Yeah, I mean, are we going to find out that it's all just... I mean, it's not going to be like a dream, but that everything is just as we... as we Kind of like you said, as we see it and it doesn't mean anything... It, it is that way, though. In real life, it really is that way. We see things very strongly one way or the other, but it really is just the way it is. You know, life doesn't stop and wait for you to prove your point or have your point become realized. Or Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't, but life just keeps going ahead. They also made most of the episode black and white, but then made it color like they did in The Wizard of Oz. That kind of thing. So many things. Yeah, so there's got to be a reason, and I don't think Noah Hawley would leave that hanging in the last two episodes, so maybe we'll find out. I'm, you know, just not going to really sweat it until we see the final minute of the show this season. Okay. Well, we did get some words of wisdom. We got the life is nothing but a competition to be the criminal rather than the victim. Bertrand Russell. Next. Yeah, he was a British first. philosopher, kind of born into affluence and spent... He's kind of a mathematician philosopher. I read a little bit about him. I didn't know that much about him. But that's a pretty interesting thought, and that kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with the story of America, the Godfather, and all that. It's better to be the criminal than wait around and sit around and become the victim to somebody else who's the criminal. You know, to take action and be, you know either protect yourself or get what you want out of life versus being some, having something being taken from you out of life. Well, I guess, but isn't this kind of like, um, you know, I mean, it's anti what the Bible teaches you too. It's like, you know, good and evil. It's like the opposite. You don't want to be the criminal. Of course, I don't think you necessarily want to be a victim, but you certainly don't want to be the criminal. Maybe not, but I mean, it's always kind of better and to be that be the hammer than the nail, right? You can have things happen to you all through your life and just suffer through them, or you could be the one who acts and takes, you know, control of things. Well, we see the book. It's lying in the rubble, the history of true crime in the Wild West, and then we see a page stuck to a board that says, Chapter 7, Liberal Kansas, 1950, who shot Willie Bupor? And we kind of, 
go into the photo on this page, which is really kind of cool. That was cool. And it's a field, and then a disclaimer comes up. This is the true story, which we've gotten in every episode. So that was kind of neat. Yeah, so that's that. We know those this, the little article, if you stopped this, the screen and read it, it talks about um, Willie Beaupore was at this crime scene where five were dead, four were dead of gunshot wounds, and one from something else. So we know those five people, right? Five people are Omi and Aldo, Omi the, uh, the Loy, Loy's gang member, and Aldo the guy in the trunk. Okay. We know Calamita and right. Willie. Willie was the gas station owner. And Rabbi was those four were shot, and Willie and Rabbi was the one, not really probably shot, but not really killed by what he was shot with, shot in the arm. So, I think those are the five, four, four dead, right. five dead, four of gunshot wounds, and the bodies scattered from miles apart from one another. So that was the mystery at the time. Right. So we are going to assume then that Rabbi is dead. I would. I don't know. How would you assume anything else? Yeah, I mean, I... Well, I, absolutely, if you're pulled up in a tornado like that. But, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if they had him not dead. But... Um, okay, so Omi's driving through the fields, and he's looking for Calamita, and he stops at a monument of the boyhood home of the person who discovered Pluto, when we read that, that plaque that was out there. What was that all about? Why? Uh, I don't know, another symbol. Pluto's the planet that tries real hard to be a planet, was for a while, then got nixed now it's not a planet and then maybe they made it a planet again i don't know is it is it that you know i mean like a long way from home like in dorothy or i don't know i think the guy i think the real guy i think that really is a guy from that part of the state that really did discover pluto but i don't know why it's part of the story okay so the the guy you said his name was alto Aldo, I think. Aldo. Okay, he's in the trunk. And Omi asks him about what Calamita was planning, and he tells him what he knows, which is like bits and pieces, and he obviously didn't pay real close attention to the conversation that he overheard, is how I took it. He's like, he said he's going to liberal, libel, something. You know, he just kind of, he didn't know. So Omi closes the trunk back on him. And then he pulls into the gas station and talks to Willie, who says that... And that was kind of interesting. I liked Willie. I liked Willie. He says he never even met a Korean, but Truman wants to send his son to shoot some. And then Omi asked him if he's seen an Italian, and he hasn't, but he said this is the only, and it was neat. They kept calling it a filling, filling station. I hadn't heard a gas station called that in so long, so that was cool. They did it time and again, a filling station. But he said if, if he's coming this way, that he'll that they'll see him at some point because that's the only gas station around. And Willie won't let him just hang around, but Omi notices some paint sitting around, offers to paint the building in exchange for getting to hang around. So he gets the guy out of the trunk and they start to paint. Yeah, I like how Omi's 
how Omi is undaunted. Like the Willie tells him, "No, you re- you really can't stay and hang around. Can't park your car in the back and hang around." And Omi doesn't give up. He looks around like, "Hmm, how could I, how could I sway this conversation to my favor?" And he spots the paint, and he figures out a quick little plan to get Willie to let him stay. And then they have yeah. di- very differing paint styles when they're. Aldo and Omi are painting. <laughs> That's true. Well, um, the guy's painting like in a circle. So they get done, they get a soda, and they're talking. And um, Aldo's telling the story about turtles. And that that was kind of an interesting little story he was telling. The pi- how they piled on top of one another so the king turtle could see. But the ones on the bottom were getting crushed. And he's talking about how he and Omi both are the ones on the bottom. And he's tired of the little guy getting crushed. And the little guy does have a little bit of power because if you're the turtle on the very bottom, you can rock the whole stack by moving or shaking shaking it up a little bit, even though you're getting kind of crushed. Right. I don't know. It's interesting. Maybe, maybe Holly just spent too much time away from this show and he collected all of his allegories and symbols and threw them all into this season because here's another little symbol of this turtle uh, you know king turtle on top all the little subject turtles underneath um which is i guess a story from myrtle the turtle a kid's story oh is it it's a real it's a real reference to that well, then Calamita pulls up, and Aldo runs for it. He makes a run for it out the door, and Omi shoots him. That's the end of him. And then we see Rabbi and Satchel. I was happy to see them. They're coming down this dirt road, long dirt road. And I was thinking, what if it rains? You know, how messy that would be. And then this is where we see the Fargo cut out in this episode. And then we immediately go back and they're driving past the boyhood home of the discoverer Pluto. And they also tell us that this was yesterday. So we're, we've skipped back a day in time. And that was, that was cool. I like that. They're going into liberal Kansas with a population of 408, the pancake hub of the universe. And Rabbi sees the billboard and the billboard really bothers him. It's it's, two-thirds put up and it says the future is it's not finished and he drive and he drives to this boarding house it's like a crossroads billboard in the middle of nowhere and then when he gets out at the boarding house there's another historical marker in the front this one discusses the melon mounds and that's a place where the melon family lured people into their home fed fed them and then killed them and put them in a neighboring orchard and then when things started heating up on them, you know, people started getting suspicious, they disappeared. And right after that, the bodies were discovered and everybody freaked out and no one knows what become of the Mellon family and people still live in fear of them. So that that's a fun little plaque to have outside of. Yeah, there's a lot of nobody knows. Like nobody knows what happened to that little crime. Nobody knows why the bodies were spread five miles apart in the five dead, four by a gunshot. So I guess I'm going to say it again. I think Holly's message is kind of like we live in this world and we can try to control some of what we have within our grasp, but much of what we, much of what happens to us is not within our grasp and it just happens. 
and life is what it is and we're stuck living with these mysteries and i think unfortunately if you're one who likes everything wrapped up in a tiny little bow he's going to have this season kind of end that way that you're you know this is the story it's you know 80 percent complete or 50 or 92 percent i don't want the 80 it's not going to be wrapped in a little bow because life isn't that way I, I don't know. Just, I find I find that very interesting. I, it doesn't bother me. It drives me crazy. Don't tell me a story and then not give me an ending to it. I don't want to waste life, my though. time. I don't want to waste. You're, yeah, you're but if not going to know the ending to a lot of stories in life, Michelle. That's not the point. The po- of course not, and that's fine because that's life. But if I'm going to sit down with you, if you and I are going to sit down and have a conversation and you want to tell me a story, which is what Noah Hawley wants to do, he wants to tell us a story, then you have to tell us the but freaking Maybe that's story. his message. His message is that you don't get to know the end to a lot of things that happen to you in, in this time on Earth. You know, you're not going to know if everything works out right you know we die before our kids you're not going to know what your kids do when they're 70 years old that's not what i'm saying of course not and i don't expect to know nor do i feel entitled to know everything but all i'm saying is if 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 i am going to grace you with my time and you're going to grace me with your story then tell the freaking but story but maybe that's it is his story michelle well his I don't point like <laughs> okay i don't but anyway, Rabbi condensed this whole little plot to sleep with one eye open when Satchel asked him. So that was kind of cool. Now, this is where you went into it. He's asked all sorts of questions to decide which side they're to be put on. Yeah, do you think, first of all, do you think Rabbi remembers this old hotel? Because when he kind of looks at it, I don't know if he saw a sign on the road for the, what is it, the Rayford House or what's the name of it? Started with a B. I don't remember. Oh, the Barton, Barton, yeah, Barton Fink. That's the Barton house. So I wonder if he remembered it from the at the time when he stashed the money in the wall, or if he just thinks, "Hmm, that looks like a Airbnb or a, a B and B." Well, um, because he pulls all, it, he pulls in like he knows the place. I thought until he gets in there, then he kind of looks around like, "Where's the counter?" Like it was the first time he had ever been in there. So, I, well, yeah, he stops and reads the plaque, the Mellon House plaque, or whatever it was called. Um, so he like like he hadn't read it before, but this was the only place. That was another thing. It was like this this building in the mid. There's like nothing as far as the eye can see, and then there's this building to the left, and then the uh, billboard to the right of the road, just this straight road going through. It looked like cornfields, I guess. But it's again, it's almost like Rabbi's maybe purgatory or something, right? Is that terrible to say? Because he's forced to choose, you know, east or west. He's got to choose everything. He's asked these questions: this or this, A or B. You know, it's like he's having his eyes tested or something this or this this or this i mean and that's like got to be terrible for rabbi maybe i just thought it was rather profound that the woman in charge of the front desk kind of had the philosophy it don't matter pick what don't matter what you pick life's good she literally says that you know life goes on anyway well we find out the sisters are estranged and the house is literally divided with like a tape 
And so the guys, uh, Rabbi and Satchel, end up on the west. Not that it matters as far as I could know. But, but it was what? The Wicked Witch of the East? Or was it the Wicked Witch of the West? See, I don't even think that matters. That's kind of what I'm saying. Don't try to connect them to who they are in The Wizard of Oz. Because it's, it's, for one, it's probably futile. More importantly is why does Noah Hawley want us to connect to the Wizard of Oz? And I don't think we know that yet. So we're You think just, we will know? Yeah, I think we're spinning our wheels trying to make this, these connections. Like, oh, it's clear that that guy's the scarecrow, but so what? Why does he want you to think that there's these connections to the Wizard of Oz? That's the deeper, more important question. If they give us an answer, it is. So as they head upstairs, they pass a room with a man coughing and sick and being attended to by someone. Okay, you know who that was, right? That's uh, that's Rabbi's father. That actor is the guy who played Rabbi's father who had him kill the kid and then Rabbi killed him. Oh, it was? Same actor, yeah. Yiddy's Milligan. If you oh. look at his face, you'll see it's the same guy. So why... So you know, how could that be? Because Rabbi killed him back in episode one or two. Right. So that's why this house I'm saying is the bowling alley. It's full of little mysteries that can't really be. He can't be in there getting his, his whatever, Wounds blood, blood drained and <laughs> centrifuged or whatever that guy was doing to him. And who was the kid? Was the kid the kid that Rabbi killed? You know, what are these two ghosts slash guys? What are they doing? And why is this bandaged man? Because that's all he was credited for in this episode. But he was played by that actor who played Yiddis Milligan, Rabbi's dad. Rabbi's I didn't even dad. notice that. That's, that's interesting, though. Um, the front lady leaves them in their room saying supper's at five. Rabbi tells Satchel he's going to leave. He's got to leave. He's got to go do something. And Satchel really wants to go with him, but Rabbi will not hear of it. He says he's got to go get some money that he put away, and he leaves him with a knife. And he does as little if I don't come back. No, Michelle, he says, i got to go get some money that I laid away. That he laid away? Like lay away. Really? He said the word laid away, lay away. I didn't notice that. Okay, so then Rabbi pulls up at the store, and it's not the same, and he is not happy. It used to be a feed store, now it's an appliance store. And Rabbi says, he goes in, and the guy's trying okay, wait, to sell... Okay, well, hold on, Michelle, okay. you skipped a whole bunch of shit. So, she shows them all the rooms. There's the, in the back of the house. There's the sitting room for board games and conversating. There's the bondage room, bandage room, whatever, where the guy's getting bandaged up. There's the bathroom down the hall. But then they talk about dinner. And at dinner, the clerk lady says, dinner ain't much here, but it's better than boiling your shoe. Uh Which is what Antoon the assassin said when he was walking with uh, Satchel through that. um, That's true. That he had to eat his belt and his shoes. Right. And then also there's this reference to Goldilocks. And there has been before. One of the references is when... um, Loy, I think, tells Satchel. Loy, Satchel asks Loy, "Is that little boy sleeping in my bed?" Zero, I think he was right. zero mm-hmm. sleeping in my bed, like Goldilocks sleeping in my bed. Mm-hmm. And then also, um, the Irish dad, who is the mean guy that now is apparently getting bandaged up, told Rabbi, "This 
when he was going to have him kill the kid, the counterpart that was traded, he's been sleeping in your bed. Do you like that? Like he makes it, he makes him, he he goads him into shooting Brad, that kid. Brad. So those were both two things about um, past past events, at least in this season. Um, and then they go to the Tin Woodsman store. So, so he's trying to connect things to this house that are very symbolic to things that have already happened. Okay. Well, Rabbi says there used to be a wall in this store, and he's looking around, and the guy gets a phone call, and Rabbi leaves. The guy's stressed. You can feel the tension between them. You know that Rabbi knows the guy knows something about it, and you can tell the guy knows that Rabbi knows that he knows. I mean, you can tell. But back in the room, Satchel hears something coming from the armoire and bravely goes to it and opens it, knife in hand, and Toto jumps out, but her name's Rabbit. The dog runs downstairs, and Satchel chases her and runs into the aluminum siding guy, Hunk Swindell. Isn't that funny? Swindle? So what do you think about this rabbit? So rabbit couple people on the forums and stuff are saying okay rabbit like you go down a rabbit hole when you fall through into some new thing that interests you and you read about it and you're all of a sudden an hour's gone by so rabbit runs literally down this circular stairway and the camera goes down the center as if they're falling into a rabbit hole or we are as we're you know viewing this so now we're going to do an Alice in Wonderland too. No, no, no. But r- rabbit, the... it, you certainly can't deny that that is what they did when they filmed it. Right. <laughs> also, rabbit is one letter away from rabbi. So we know that, spoiler alert, but we know that Satchel's going to be exchanging rabbi for rabbit by the time this episode's over. So rabbit seems to be more than just a little, uh, little dog in an armoire. And by the way, how does see this? This house is so if bowling alley like Michelle. How does a little dog get locked into a cabinet in a hotel miles from anywhere else in the winter, and no one at the house misses this dog or claims this dog? It's got a dog tag on. How did it get right. there? Who put it in the armoire? And and how you know how come nobody at the house has seen it before or even cares about heard it, it or knows who he is or it right? It's an unsolvable mystery. It's another one. It's another one. So what did you think about the Dale Carnegie um, protege hunk swind- swindle, swindle? Well, the one thing I took, I mean, everybody knows a person like this. We know a person like this, Michelle, the, who had the gift of gab, and they think they're interesting as hell, but they rare, rarely are. They think they're interesting, and they talk forever, and they bore the hell out of you. Um, I don't know. I think he's pretty, he's a symbol of many people in life that, you know, we all encounter. I thought it was funny, though. He wanted Satchel to ask him a question. He's like, you know, that's what Del Carnegie said. Get, you know, ask questions. And Satchel asked him if he has any food. Satchel's like this typical a little boy who's hungry all the time and don't think he's getting a whole lot of food. The other guy comes up and talks Yeah, but he flips it. He goes, oh, that's lesson four. Always be humorous. Like, he thinks Satchel's trying to make a joke. Right. But you're right. Satchel's just being a hungry little 10-year-old. Right. Right. 
the other guy comes up and he's talking about going to Texas. Oil fields, far as the eye can see, instant millions. And um, our swindle guy kind of laughs him off. And Hickory then Rabbi, Milch is that guy. Hickory Milch. And then Rabbi comes in, takes Satchel to the room, and this is where he takes off his shoes. And we see the hole in his shoes and the stone that's gotten in his shoe. So Rabbi has not... I don't think I knew he had it that hard. We we compare him to Josto, who's going around in the finest of everything and being driven around in the finest of cars. And, and um, he even made a comment to Orietta about... She said, I thought you were a gentleman or something. He said, why? Because my shoes are polished. And then we see Rabbi's shoes. So he's definitely not been taken care of. Why would you think otherwise? Why did you think Rabbi had any kind of advantage at all? I didn't necessarily think he did, but I just wasn't picturing that kind of poverty. I didn't realize it was to that extent. Yeah, um, he was a victim of his captors and at mercy to whatever they decided he could have. Until he decided to, you know, become strong and take stuff. You know, we know he learned how to fight. He knows how to use a gun. He teaches... He's t- already taught Satchel how to use a knife. He's just... He's a survivor. He's not a thriver. He's just kind of existed just above starving to I, death. I really wanted to see him do something, right? I mean, I... And, I don't know, I mean, that doesn't have to be the story just because I wanted it, but I really did. I wanted to see something good come of Rabbi. So maybe that's part of my bitterness, too. But Well, he so gave did... Satchel skills to survive. What's that? He gave Satchel the skills to survive. Yeah, maybe. That's not a we small thing. We don't know that yet, though. Yeah, we do. He taught him how to, he taught him how to survive. Well, we don't know that. We don't know if he has or not, because we're well, not 100% sure that it's Mike Milligan. Yeah, we do. Of course well. we do. Okay, so dinner's called, and it's an eclectic group, to say the least. Okay, I started to write down all these people and who they said they were and what was going on, and I just didn't. What, okay, Michelle, before up? dinner, <laughs> sorry to keep dragging back this backwards, but there's a very important thing that Rabbi says, that he's had a setback, and only a fool thinks the world stays the same. I've worked the problem out and I've got it solved. So he makes a point, Holly more than Rabbi, I guess through Rabbi's words, but only a fool thinks the world stays the same. And he kind of fell into that trap a little bit. He thought his wall would always be there and his money would always be there. And it's not. Things change and you have to figure it out when things do change, unless you're just a fool. That's pretty profound. These little thing, these little lessons and statements, I think, are really super interesting. Even if you don't have the exact beginnings and endings to them, they're true. They're true, of and to me, they're very they're interesting. True. Of course, and I, it's it's not that. It's just you know, we. I don't feel like we watch this for life lessons from Noah Hawley. I feel like we watch this to get this story. And of course it's true. No, I of watched it for the exact, that exact reason. I watched it because okay. it makes me think and makes me curious about what he means, and it's entertaining. And even though I said there was no storyline that I could really follow in this, this, ep- this season has much less of a thread than the other ones did. But 
this brought me this episode really brought me in i really did like the thoughts that it made me that it prompted within me because it's a, like sure i said you didn't just like it because i didn't like it's it it's a lot like the bowling alley scene i really that was my favorite podcast we've ever done the one about the bowling alley what all those things meant and all the all I the agree with yeah i agree with the bowling alley i just don't agree with this one i felt i felt like it was heavy handed and while you're explaining all this, do you want to explain the the dinner scene? Because it was just nonsensical to me. Of course, I got the parallels to you know what they were talking about, and so but but it was just ridiculous. It was like a a group of I don't know. Well, I mean, if you if you look at the Wizard of Oz, it's ridiculous, right? A girl goes to a fairy tale land where poppies are magical and monkeys fly, and all you know, it's ridiculous, but it's entertaining, and it makes you think about stuff like there's no place like home, and you know, if you pick the most probably profound thing in there, that it's just good to be back home. It's good to have a place where people love you and know you, and and all that. So this, yeah, it's it's. You call it ridiculous. There might be a better word, better theatrical word for it. It's allegory. It, the, this this dinner is full of crazy people. But you got to remember, we got we got Rabbi's dead father up there getting bandaged and his serum getting sucked out of him and centrifuged by <laughs> What the hell is that? How is that even possible? It's not. It's 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 um symbolism. So, so did anyway, you get you're any right. Particular the, symbolism. You got to find it where you see data. it. Not the world. Uh, he's trying to tell us the only a fool thinks the world stays the same. Is one. Well, sure, but I'm talking specifically about this dinner and no, all you the people well, in there. The you kind of asked the wrong questions, I think, by asking that question. The world doesn't stay the same. There's a lot of people in it. You know, everybody can have their opinion but it really doesn't matter in the end because the world rolls forward those are the messages but you know that that's not my questions you know, I can't ask the wrong questions I can ask questions that this thing doesn't answer but you know my questions are my questions and these people the only thing I could get out of the dinner thing was that Swindle was kind of talking about everybody, introducing everybody, so we had to find out who Rabbi was going to be. And, like, they were kind of doing it to get Rabbi to say who he was. But the uncle and the niece sitting there together, and she ask about Goldilocks. I discussed Goldilocks being an outsider in search of herself because she had no family, no home, and she didn't really fit in anywhere. Even when the story ended, we still didn't know about her. The story never ends, yeah. So. Was yeah, there you're looking else? for an oh, answer. the food. Uh, huh? The food? What about that was food? on the table? I mean, did you see it? It was like, you couldn't even tell what it was, most of it. There was like little, first of all, it wasn't a whole lot. There was a plate of something. It reminded me of um, 
what's that music video, Justin Bieber, Yummy? And they've got like this, these plates of disgusting food and everything about it. And it's like, you know, anyway, the food on this, even though it was black and white, and of course in the video it's not, it just reminded me of that. And it was just like, I don't even know what it was. Yeah, that was the least I didn't even notice and didn't even care. It, it's all, it's all, it's all symbolism, Michelle. Like a little girl asking for a fable at the dinner table—that it's nonsensical. What what little girl asks for a story while they're eating dinner in real life, and what father would entertain her in front of like kind of polite company? Sure, I'll tell you a story about Goldilocks and Hansel and Gretel. That doesn't happen. It's it's. it's it's made to make you think, why? Why is he doing that? And even if you can't come up with the answer, it's, it's, I think it's interesting to me to think about that stuff. Well, then they show Rabbi and Satchel in bed, and Rabbi just looks worried. And that's really kind of all you see with that. And then it's the next day, and Rabbi and Satchel head back to the appliance store, and Rabbi stops in front of the billboard, and this time he gets out because it isn't done, and he's mad, and he's asking the guy what it's supposed to say. The guy says when he finishes it, he's out of a job, and so he's not in any hurry. He's like, hang around, you'll see. Yeah, but more importantly, Rabbi is angry, but more importantly, he asks, it's wrong to make people live with uncertainty. Like, you put up a message that's not complete, kind of like what you're going through now, Michelle. What, what, what are you trying to tell me? You put up half the message. Where's the other half? Your rabbi's angry about that. So why is it okay for rabbi to be angry and it's not okay for me to because be angry? It's, because it's, it's okay to be angry, but it's, it's also, I think, important to see that that's what he's trying to do. That's what Noah Hawley's trying to get us to think. That it is hard to live with uncertainty, but we have to because that's what life but not in a story a not story a about story. what life means it's exactly what it's about no no i think i think noah hawley has a very high opinion of himself if that's what is going on oh, i think he's a genius for putting that in well i mean i appreciate that we feel differently about it his Rabbi message here, his day. message is that we have to live with uncertainty you have to accept okay, it. Okay, I don't need that from Noah Hawley. I need a story. I don't need Noah Hawley counseling me on my life lessons. I really don't, just to be blunt about it. And then you can watch Naked and Afraid and watch a half hour, you know. <laughs> that's what, he, that's what this I is could. about. I don't, I don't have to watch it, but I didn't watch it for this kind of stuff, is what I'm telling you. And he certainly has a right to put anything he wants to in this. But I am not... I, I will get my life lessons from, you know, the Bible, not from Noah Hawley's, um, what, eight episodes. Well, he's uncannily close to the Bible. You know, it's, this, is, this is very symmetrical to religious thinking. The cones are very religious in their messages. Anyway. And anti-religious. Well, but... Still, meaning of life, meaning of death, what you know, what, what control of my fate do I have? What does luck mean? Why do I have bad luck when everybody else has good luck? 
why do I have good luck when everyone else has bad luck? You know, it's, it's very, it's very thoughtful. It's very religious and philosophical. Well, Rabbi hears about the deadly shooting at the slaughterhouse between the organized crime families on the radio, and it turns that off. He's mad. Rabbi's kind of bent out of shape this whole episode. He's not in a good mood. And I don't know that we've ever seen him, like, particularly in a good mood, but he seems particularly not in a good mood in this. He's he's um, Goldilocks. That's why they had that p- statement earlier. In search of himself, in search of herself, a girl in the cold, no family, no hope, doesn't fit in anywhere. That's Rabbi, and then soon it's going to be Satchel. Well, they pull up at the store, and Rabbi tells Satchel to lock the doors and not talk to anyone. And then inside, the store owner and his brother are discussing the fact that Rabbi came to visit the day before. And the brother's all, you know, kind of tough guy and says, we'll show him this. And, you know, pulls his jacket up and shows a gun. And this is where Rabbi walks in and he has his gun out. And there's some talk, but they finally break and they tell him that they had to take the bulk of the money and basically used it in the course of living, getting the store going and everything. There's one bundle of $5 bills and $1 bills. And Rabbi says that there was $5,000 in there, and he is not happy. And meanwhile, outside in the car, a policeman comes up to Satchel and Rabbi. Okay, we got to talk about it. All right, Michelle. So okay. this the money. The guy says, we bought the store, mister. Leaky pipes and bag of money. That's the American way. And tra- that translates just, it means just more luck. Some some is good luck. You get leaky freaking pipes. I bought this building as is. I didn't expect leaky pipes. But, oh, wait a minute, there's a bag of money. It's it's just the same message over and over. And this is also a trope that we've seen before with the cones. You know, the money buried in, from the movie uh, under the fence in the snow is the money the supermarket king found in episode two or season two, can't even remember, one or two. Same money, same bag of money. That's how he started his fortune. He found it, just luck. He turned it into a fortune. And the rabbi says that's not his money. He's like, this was not your money. It's not the point, though. It's pro- it probably wasn't rabbi's money. He probably stole it from somebody else. But luck touches people. You know, it just it's, you're graced with it sometimes, and sometimes bad luck hits you. But that's, I think that's very profound. I, I, I really like that message that we got the store and the freaking pipes were leaking, but then we found this bag of money. That's the American way. It just, it just was our luck. Good luck. Some of it's bad luck. He even says it. That's the American way. Yeah, he did say it. Meanwhile, Satchel's getting harassed, Satchel and Rabbit, by a policeman just for sitting in a car. And we go back and forth between inside with Rabbi deciding if he's going to kill those guys or not, and outside with Satchel and the policeman. But suddenly Rabbi's back, and I'm assuming he didn't kill the guys. What do you think? I don't even think it matters. I didn't even think about it. Well, he tells the policeman that he served with Satchel's father in the war, and now he's caring for his offspring. That's how he gets away with it. He's told that if he's going to travel with a colored kid in a town like this, keep him out of sight. So that's kind of a horrific... 
little yeah, it's a, kind of probably a statement by Holly about the police being the way they are sometimes in our modern times that they these cops are kind of looking for trouble which I guess is their job but not really to make trouble or magnify trouble and these cops are looking to kind of magnify this trouble like there's a kid in a car hmm that's suspicious that's not normal and they're looking to amp it up they come in kind of angry on Satchel. You know, he doesn't just say, hey, kid, what's going on? You okay? Your parents around? He kind of, he's accusatory and suspicious towards him. They're looking to make more trouble out of what is already at hand. And right. sometimes cops do that. Sometimes cops these days look for trouble. They look to make more, they, they don't de-escalate. They amp things up into more problems than they really need. And I think that was the message that he was saying with that little scene. Back in, in 1950, certainly, well, it would be. I mean, you would. It didn't seem like something that wouldn't happen back then. You know, as, as you're watching it, it certainly wasn't any kind of a stretch to believe that something like that would happen. Well, but I think I'm, I'm trying to say he's Holly's commenting on the status of police today, that they don't just keep the peace. They sometimes make things worse. And this cop was definitely making things worse with Satchel. He wasn't doing anything wrong. He wasn't, you know, smoking pot or whatever. He wasn't doing anything wrong. He was just sitting there with his little puppy. And this cop was ready to amp it up into big time trouble. Well, yeah, I mean, even when they pulled the gun on this kid. Yeah. Well, that's but not 1950 only. That's today, too. That's not, that's Holly's message, I think. I mean, I didn't get all that, but, you know, certainly with everything going on, you could pull that from, uh, from what we saw. But back in the room, Satchel's hungry again. And Rabbi's saying that he's decided they're going to leave after supper and he can't bring the dog. And Satchel's upset. He says he only wanted one thing for his birthday. He kind of throws a little tantrum and Rabbi's like, what are you doing? Because he's obviously not used to that kind of behavior from Satchel. But Rabbi feels bad because he finds out that it is Satchel's birthday. And he goes downstairs to get him a cupcake. And he's told the sisters don't believe in sugar, but there's a filling station again, a filling station. I love that. Eight or nine miles down the road. So Rabbi leaves and tells her that if Satchel's looking for him, tell him he'll be right back, which was not his normal. That was not his normal. He never says, tell him I'll be right back. So I hated that. I knew something was up. Right then. This is another Cohn's trope the, where kindness defeats practicality. So Rabbi going to get Satchel this cupcake isn't very practical because it's dangerous. He has to go out into the world and people might see him or somebody might cross his path as we see happens. And this kind of happened. Satchel this ha didn't want a cupcake anyway. He just wanted well, a dog. Kindness defeating being more practical. Kindness defeating sensibility. This happened in No Country for Old Men when the guy went back to give the bandits some water. Like, I'm, he's dying of thirst. He gets back up out of bed from his safe home and brings a jug of water to the, you know, he's being kind. Right. Also, it's interesting to me that 
if this really was Satchel's birthday and all this kind of happens, it's interesting that it's kind of Mike Milligan's birthday because he becomes, if it eventually is, Mike Milligan. This kind of is the day he becomes Mike Milligan. That's true. So outside he sees the billboard that says, now, says the future is now. And he gets mad, he asks the guy doing it. He's like, what does that mean? And the guy says, well, I didn't write, I don't, I don't get paid to write them. But he explains it, not in these words, but kind of like a maybe carpe diem kind of thing. Um, maybe the future he once feared has arrived because now he's out of a job, the guy's saying about himself, predicted by this billboard. So I'm sure you have all sorts of lovely thoughts on that. No, well, it's exactly what Rabbi recognized earlier. That the, I was a fool to think things would have stayed the same. This guy, I'm out of a job now. I worked myself out of a job. Things don't stay the same. You complete one thing in your life, you have to be ready for the next. It's not the same day after day after day. You know, there's an unreliable... Somewhere, either somebody says it or... It's, it's a message that the unreliability of time... Time is guaranteed to bring you unreliability. You can't rely on things happening repetitively over and over. Well, the weather's picking up as Rabbi pulls up to that gas station and he finds old Willie's feet sticking out of the door like the Wicked Witch from under the house. He looks inside and sees Calamita speaking to Omi with a gun on him and he turns on Rabbi and fires at him through the window. He sees him. And then he walks outside and he shoots Rabbi in the arm. Omi, meanwhile, walks out and shoots Kalamita from the back, like through his chest. But then he's out of bullets and it doesn't take him down. So Kalamita turns on Omi and shoots him twice. Then he turns back to Rabbi to finish the job he'd started with him. In the meanwhile, Rabbi's pulled a gun. He goes to fire it on Kalamita and a board comes by and knocks it out of his hand. And then we see the chaos of the tornado. And I know that after living through the close call with that tornado here just a few months ago, that was kind of a horrifying scene for me to watch, the violence of that. Yeah, this is also more evidence of the fable, the, the fantastical nature of this episode. Because Calamita's standing there with his hat on, and there's cars swirling around and buildings lifting up in the air, and his hat stays on. You know, it's not realistic it's it's a fable the cohen's remind us that we're watching a fable by this visual action around and holly certainly reminds us that we're watching the cohen's by by making it happen for us this way it's that that tornado though that was biblical that tornado very majestic it was very super interesting to look at and to watch it just it was, really was even however unbelievable it was entertaining i mean that's that's really the job of a good story is to entertain you well that tornado was kind of horrifying and i did go back and watch that several times it was just horrifying i thought for a minute that rabbi had made it and he was on the ground and then we see that's not the case and he's sucked up in that horrifying wind it looked like for a minute he was just standing there. But that was horrible. In a way, the story needs to kind of clear away the past a little bit so that Satchel can be free of it to move forward. 
It's kind of like, um, did you ever see that movie, The Langoliers, Stephen King movie? The Langoliers are these um, things that come and they eat up time. They they literally chomp up things in the world. They they're like ten minutes behind time. Mm-hmm. And they eat the past. They clear away all the past, so the so time so life can go on. But they're terrifying because if you're stuck in front of them, they're gonna eat you. <laughs> um, anyway, that's kind of what I think was going on here. Is the the past is getting cleaned up and taken away and eradicated, so the future can go on. And now Satchel has to be forced to move into his future because there's no rabbi to protect him. There's a few less gangsters after him, so he's a little bit more free. You know, he's probably going to get away. I don't know. I thought of that Langoliers movie when I saw this tornado. I might have to watch that. I think I read the book, but it was back when I was a kid. So The book's much better than the movie. The movie's really stupid. But... Well, back at the hotel, Satchel has fallen asleep on the floor, and Rabbit wakes him up. He looks around for Rabbi, and then he goes in the hallway, and suddenly it's no longer black and white. Now we're in the colored part. He hears the sick man in the other room who tells him not to worry about the rain, that fire is going to end the world next time, is what he's talking about. And he tries to get him to come closer, but Satchel said he's going to go wait in his room. Yeah, and and the guy's the Mr. Milligan, or whatever the bandage guy is. He's quoting from Revelations. I'm the Alpha, the Omega. And then when Satchel wakes up, he says something like, I just woke up, I smell rain. Right. Rain in stories is usually transitory. It's like something has changed, something's refreshed or new. And, you know, that kind of happens in The Wizard of Oz. Dorothy wakes up to find out that everything she experienced was just a bump in the head dream. Right. And now, and now she's clear to see the things that are the lessons that she was taught, were how important there's no place like home. All these people are really important, even though, you know, they're just the, the the ranch hands. They really loved her and cared for her. And she saw that in her dream, and that, that was the lesson. That's what she carries into the future. Well, and maybe the rain, too, was like the... Because that's what just took Rabbi away from him. And then, as he's going back to his room, one of the other occupied rooms is that guy and his mom... And they're folding an American flag like you do when you're going to hand it to someone whose relative has died, like a military person. So So he sits in the room with his gun in his hand, Satchel does, and he falls asleep. And he wakes up and he sees that Rabbi still isn't back. And so he goes outside with Rabbit. And we get this cool split screen. He's walking down the road and he sees the billboard. And he just stands there and stares at it for a long while. And then we get this close-up of his face. And then that's the end. Yeah, the... the, Well, he wakes up, he sees the empty bed. That's one of the saddest movie tropes of all of life's realities. It's the saddest thing to see an empty bed. Or even to just, just wake up in the middle of the night or the morning and just think, wow, I used to have this person in my life and now they're not here anymore. It's, right. it's sad. Right. Know? And then he... He he's like it's like a little gunslinger. He, he has he sticks the gun in his belt and picks up a rabbit, and then they even have the the um, music of like the 
you know, High Plains Drifter or whatever, this gunslinger music. And he's he's transitioned now because he, now he's the protector of Rabbit versus being the one protected by somebody else. But when Did they pulled in, they pulled into his face. It, Satchel's face became like really close up. I thought they almost could have transitioned it to Mike Milligan in 1970 or whatever. Now that, that would have been see that would have changed this whole episode to me if they had done that because then it would have given us something. I don't ask for much, Mike. Well, Just that, a little. You could probably say that you have been given that. You can probably assume he's Mike Milligan, Michelle. But, yeah, but, I mean, what would it have hurt? What would it have hurt? What Just would have helped? If you already know that. It would have made me like the episode. Look, I know other people liked it. A lot of people did. But, I mean, I just didn't. I just didn't, didn't like it. And on the upcoming, did you see any of that? No. Um, we, we're going to see him again. Uh, there was very little, well, you know, they don't do a lot of upcoming. I've said this every episode, I think. But um, there's the, the war going on, the fighting between Josto and Loy and all that. We see that. And, um, but we see Satchel in the next episode. And he's holding his gun on two guys. I think it's two, two men that are in a car by the side of the road, or they're in the car and he's on the road, so, or in a parking lot or somewhere, he's outside the car. So we're gonna see him again. It's not like that was the end of Satchel. Yeah, I wouldn't have expected it to be the end of Satchel. It's probably the end of um, Rabbi, I'm guessing. Yeah. And Kalamita. Yeah. Um, but who knows? I mean, who knows? There's two hours left, so anything could happen. I, so many times these writers do this thing where they just fool around episode after episode after episode, and then they pull it out at the end, and it's stunning when they do that. And I think because that's happened at various points that that's kind of become what they try to do and it just doesn't work most of the time and I really tried to like get in touch with myself and see if this was just the way I was feeling or you know if I had something going on in my life that was coloring the way I felt about this but I don't think so I don't I don't think that's what it is it was just I just want to hear the story. I just want the story. Sometimes I think you just got to strip down your thoughts and let stuff go and not like you're searching for all these answers and connections and just take that, try to take that part away and just let the, let the theme of it wash over you and see if that brings you any better resolution. So what was the overall theme of this episode? Well, that's, that can't be me telling you it. It has to be something you realize. And it may be there for you and it may not. But I think that's what the cones try to do. They, they wash this over you and it means something to you in a certain way. You can't have somebody tell you what it means. It has to mean it to you. I don't think I've ever you. seen a true cone, cone movie that did that. Not, not in this way. Not in the way Noah Hawley does it. It's like he takes this artistic... Um, 
privilege or whatever the word might be, artistic, what's the word I'm looking for? And License. he runs with it. He just like takes it where it's, it's so good if it's in little bits, you know? Like if you get little bits of this kind of stuff, then it like washes around the story and it just makes it so colorful. But he just like grabs up a big handful of it, a big armful of it, and takes off running. And we're just like kind of left with this. See, I think there's Joel Cohn and Ethan Cohn and Noah Hawley Cohn. I think he's the third. I think he's just <laughs> like them. And he's he's a protege of their style. And I think he's a perfect scribe for what their message is. I, I think he's very, very much like the Cohns. He's captured what they want, and he's delivered it. Okay. I mean, even in, like, the movie Fargo, that was a long time ago that movie came out. And even Margie says it, you know, what... She's driving with the guy in the back seat. You know, why? Why'd you do this? Such a nice day. Such a beautiful day. Why? She can't get... She cannot get that answer. She will not ever understand that. That, but you're exactly making my point because that's what it is. It was it was a five to ten second clip in the middle of this really uh, rich story that just added color to it. You're right, but it wasn't like an hour of it. I just you know it, it's not my style. It's just not. So I'm I Michelle. Hate to be so negative, and I apologize to everybody who had to sit and listen to me one for an hour. Seriously. If you don't want to do it anymore, I can find somebody to do the last two episodes. <laughs> if they're like this, I might take you up on it. No, but I really think that's it. That is it. That she has to just go home and be happy that her husband paints stamps, and you know they take pleasure out of this tiny little joy in life, of which you know if you're fortunate, you see. They're all there. All those joys are there. You just see them or you don't. And evil is there. You see it or you don't. So you could be an idiot and just think, oh, life's great, but there is evil there. But there's also the joy there. You know, it's all there, and we can't do a lot about most of it. And I think that's the ultimate message. I think that's the story. Well, what's going to happen with Satchel now? What's your prediction? Is he going to go back home now? No. And then just become Mike Milligan later in life. He's going to take a piece of rabbi with him. Yes. How can he help? How can he not? I just don't know that he can go from this point and be on his own. He's a baby. He's literally a child. He's smart. He's got a, he's got a bunch of lessons from this pretty tough gangster that he lived, literally lived with for months yeah, but you see him be a kid, you know? Yeah, I mean, he's kids sitting there grow going, up. but what I want these... it. You know, and he throws something in the floor. He's a kid. I don't know. You watch The Godfather, you know, Vito Corleone, Vito Andolini. His name wasn't even Corleone. He was from Corleone, Sicily. His name was Vito Andolini. came over. He had, like, diphtheria or whatever he had when he got measles or something when he got to Ellis Island. He was, like, exactly like Satchel. Same age, skinny little runty kid, and he became a crime lord. It's survival. Are you saying Satchel's a baby in a box? No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying you can survive. It's a story of survival. 
All right, Michelle, next episode 410, happy, so be happy. Damn it. Dang, I made it. Okay. All right, see you then. Okay, we'll see you then.